Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Our uh, thoughts and our prayers and uh, some direct action, very much directed towards Western Kentucky, in particular Dawson Springs and Mayfield, even Bowling Green, experienced a great deal. We come together on a beautiful Lord's Day morning like this, crisp but very clear, and it's hard to imagine that just 48 hours ago, there were threatening skies and uh, what may well turn out to be the longest uh, duration of any single major tornado on the ground consistently over 200 miles and so much devastation. Communicated yesterday, passed through the First Baptist Church in Madisonville. Some of you may have seen an iconic now photograph that shows the church bus of First Baptist of Mayfield. And it is surrounded by the debris of the building and the church stands and on the back door it simply says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him might not perish but have everlasting life. And that bus with that verse is all that remains standing there. So this morning as we're gathering together, there are so many close to us and even connected to us uh, who have no place to meet and uh, also are grieving the loss of so many. So we don't want to begin this morning without thinking about them and praying for them. And uh, that adds a real understanding of God's mercy as we're able to gather together this morning. So let's pray. Our Father, we come before you recognizing that all over the world there is always disaster, flood, earthquake, fire, storm, war, pestilence. And Father, your people somewhere are suffering all the time. And your people somewhere are unable to gather together for worship and for the study of your word. So Father, we pray for the folks, especially in western Kentucky and in that entire region who have suffered and so many have died in this deadly outbreak of the tornado. And Father, we pray that you will minister to those congregations. You'll help us to know how we can help best. And uh, we pray for what you only can do in the hearts of those who are there. And Father, we pray that there will be a strong gospel witness to your glory in the midst of all of this. Father, there are believers there who last Sunday had a wonderful warm place to meet for the study of God's word, and it is gone. And Father, your mercy is extended to us such that we are here, and we dare not take it casually. So, Father, thank you for letting us gather. Thank you for giving us, more than anything else, your word for us to study, and the Lord Jesus Christ by whom we're saved. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, people thinking about the book of Leviticus generally think about it entirely as law given, the Levitical code given for the priesthood. And uh, even as Moses is called to meet with the Lord and the Lord delivers these Levitical laws, they are, of course, how the book begins, and they are essential, as we've come to understand, uh, they're essential to our understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, e even to the reality of sin, the objective reality of sin and guilt, the inability of, of human beings, all of us, any of us, 
uh, to relieve ourselves of that problem, even to the most minuscule degree. There is nothing we can do to remove our sin. There's nothing we can do to remove our guilt, and that is an inseparable barrier between sinful humanity and a holy God as seen here in the experience of Israel. But Israel is God's covenant people, and it is a covenant even then that points to redemption. It is a covenant even then that is about the forgiveness of sins. Now, as we know, this was a a temporary forgiveness. It, It was not ultimate because, as the book of Hebrews says, it is impossible for the blood of goats and 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 uh, of ox or or calves to wash away our sin. But it did hold back God's wrath. And and we understand that the the priesthood is necessary. And, And then we saw this amazing reality that even the priest needs a priest. And so even with the glory of the priesthood, the priest is still a human being who is a sinner and must first make sacrifice with reference to his own sins. So we have the law that has been given concerning the priesthood. We, we, we have also the, uh, the rules about the sacrifices and the offerings to be made and the role of the priest. What we do not have is a priest. Thus far in the book of Leviticus, we know a great deal about what the priest, whoever the priest is going to be, will do. We know it will be Aaron and his sons, but yet Aaron is not a priest. And Aaron's sons are not yet with him priests. Today we arrive at chapter 8, when the priesthood is established. And in the history of Israel, this is one of the most momentous events of all. Because a part of what will define Israel going forward is that Israel is a holy priesthood. So it's not just that Israel has a priesthood. It is that Israel is a priesthood. Now, there's a lot to to unpack there. It doesn't mean that every single member of Israel is a Levitical priest. That's not true. This This is Aaron and Aaron's line. And then it, it will be, they'll be assisted by the tribe of Levi. But, but then it, it's more than that. It is as if Israel, by their covenant status, is a nation of priests, and it's sometimes referred to that way, such that the covenant that includes priests and sacrifice includes the whole people. And then eventually, of course, this will come down to the Protestant Reformation with Luther's great principle that we are all priests, the priesthood of all believers. And that, by the way, is rightly said, only in the plural and never in the singular. It is not the the priesthood of the believer. It is the priesthood of believers. We are priests together, not solitary priests. Winthrop Hudson, the American church historian, said that taken to its logical extreme, this Baptist principle of the priesthood of the believer means that there's a church under every hat. That is not that is not the right construal of the doctrine. It's the priesthood of believers together, which is why, again, Third Avenue Baptist Church is a demonstration of ecclesiology. We are believers together in this, in this body. As we went verse by verse through Exodus before John, we saw not once but twice the specifications given for this magnificent tabernacle. 
the specifications about what the craftsmen are to do and the artisans are to do, exactly how all the objects are to be made, exactly how the tabernacle is to be constructed, all the vivid color and, and, and all the apparatus of the priesthood put into place and made out of the precious objects with, uh, with, with, with all the demarcations, the measurements, everything revealed by God, nothing left to chance. And then it was not just that the, the tabernacle was given to us in such specificity, but also the, the vestments of the priests, the, everything that the priest would wear, part of it gleaming white and part of it filled with so much color. And all of this, yet without a priest. So all that was given in Leviticus, and in Exodus, no priest yet. All this is now given in Leviticus in the first seven chapters, no priest yet. And now in chapter 8, a priesthood. And we begin. Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of of the tent of meeting. That's going to become very interesting in just a moment. And Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breast piece on him, and in the breast piece he put the Urim and the Thummim, and he set the turban on his head, and on the turban in front he set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now it's very interesting. These things are mentioned without any elaboration, without any particular definition, and that's because we have Exodus. So there's not a repetition, it would take chapters to include all the details and all the specifications, but they had Exodus. And again, that in itself was just a reminder to us that Israel knew it was receiving the Scriptures. Israel, Israel had the writings, and, and they had to be writings because they have to have recourse to them. This is not just a memory exercise uh, for Israel. This is a scriptural exercise. They're, they're going to have to go back, if necessary, and just remind themselves exactly how this is to be done, what is to go where, the continuity is Scripture, and of course, humanly, the continuity is Moses. So Moses calls the congregation to the entrance there to the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. Now, why are they at the entrance? Most of the drama that will take place in the passage we will read today takes place at the door. Why does it take place at the door? Well, it's very, very interesting. It takes place at the entrance. It takes place at the door because right now you have an already and a not yet. So Aaron and his sons are set apart, but they're not yet priests. Only the priests can go in. They're not priests yet. And yet they are not simply a part of Israel. They are being set apart as a priesthood. And so spatially, the way that that is played out is that Aaron and his sons are ordained at the entrance to the tent of meeting. 
So that's where this drama is taking place. They can't go in until they are priests. But they are being set apart. And where they are right now, the people cannot go. This is an already and a not yet. Mostly at this point, not yet. You'll notice that uh, Moses puts everything in place, but first of all, there is a washing of the priests. Now, lustrations, uh, washings, these are, these are done in order to demonstrate when it comes to the, the animal, that the animal's clean and ready for sacrifice. And, uh, and again, there, there, there's some real, uh, there is some real physicality to this as is made clear even by the different parts of the animal and what you have to do to clean different parts. Well, you, you have to wash the animal to make it ready for sacrifice. The priests also must be washed. And these lustrations are not just symbolic, by the way. They are, they are actually because the Lord will be offended by anything that comes out of a man. And so there must be no vestige of anything that comes out of a man as, uh, as these priests are prepared these almost priests, soon-to-be priests. And then you'll notice that the Aaron is dressed. Now, this means that no one has worn these vestments yet. They, they, they were created, uh, manufactured by artisans and by craftsmen according to the law and according to the plan that God has given, right down to the specificity. And they are named here, uh, and uh, whether the ephod or the breastplate, the umin and the thumin, which are placed within the breastplate, all this, the turban, and, uh, and, and then the, 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 the crown of the turban, all of this, the sash, it, it's all put in place. So Aaron is not yet a priest, but he is standing at the doorway, literally, of being a priest, and he is now dressed as a priest. And you'll notice again the obedience is made clear at the end of verse 9 as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 10, then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. So there's a sense in which the consecration is first made of the place before of the priest. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all the utensils and the basin in its stand to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with the coats and tied sashes around their waist and bound caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. And he brought the bull of the sin offering. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. And he killed it. And Moses took the blood. And with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar around it and purified the altar and poured the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. And he took all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat. And Moses burned them on the altar, but the bull and its skin and its flesh and its dung, he burned up with fire outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. It's majestic language. Moses anoints the tabernacle. He anoints the objects of the tabernacle, thus they're consecrated. And then he sprinkles some of it on the altar seven times. All the utensils, the basin, the stand, they're consecrated. And then in verse 12, finally, he pours some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head. Now, this is really important. So, 
this comes down to us in the laying on of hands in the ordination for gospel ministry and for the, the teaching ministry of the church. This is, this is where this comes from. Now, the laying on of hands has very spiritual significance. It is, a, it is an affirmation, and it's an affirmation that this is coming from without. In other words, one does not self-ordain. Aaron and his sons did not ordain themselves. This is done to them by another, by an authorized one. In this case, Moses is authorized on behalf of the children of Israel. But this laying on of hands also means something else, and don't miss it, representation. It means representation. And you're going to see in the course of just a few verses, if you were listening closely and, and seeing it closely, you're going to see how this representation works. Because there, in one paragraph, you have Moses laying on hands on Aaron. And then in verse 14, then the bull of the sin offering is brought, and Aaron and his sons laid their hand on the head of the bull of the sin offering. So, so it is authority, sacramental authority in this case, it is priestly authority that is given by God through Moses to Aaron and his sons with the laying on of hands. And then in just a very, very short amount of time, in the first act of priesting, Aaron and his sons placed their hands upon the head of the animal to be sacrificed. And there is representation. Also the transference of guilt. In the first case, the transference of authority. In the second, the transference of guilt. The laying on of hands being the picture, the act And of course, this is Aaron and Aaron's sons. And the first thing that's done is the sin offering. And this is because, again, the priests have to make atonement for themselves before they can make atonement for the people. The details that are given in the paragraph beginning in, in verse 14, continuing through 17, is, is a repetition of what we know before, basically to tell us that when it came to the sin offering, Aaron and his sons did exactly what they were supposed to do. This is exactly the command that is given in the earlier chapters in Leviticus, which is to say the priesthood begins with obedience. The priesthood begins with scrupulous attention to the details of what are required. You'll also notice that it's a, it's a bull here, and uh, it is... It is sacrificed according to the scripture such that the good part, so to speak, for the burning, uh, they are brought, that is, uh, that is on the altar, for the, for the sacrifice on the altar. They are brought, but the rest of the bull and its skin and its flesh are burned outside the camp. Now, again, very interesting. This is going to be absolutely crucial. It becomes crucial in the book of Numbers becomes crucial in the picture of atonement outside the camp, the distinction between inside the camp and outside the camp. And uh, this, is, this is crucial because it will be Jesus who is sacrificed outside the camp. The passage moves rather swiftly. In verse 18, then he presented the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. He cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head and the pieces and the fat, 
He washed the entrails and the legs with water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering for the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he presented the other ram, the ram of ordination. Now, this is, this is new. So, this is a different, different context. This is the, the ram of ordination. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it. And Moses took some of, his, of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he presented Aaron's sons. And Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. Okay. Some things are given and explanation is provided. Some information is given with no particular explanation provided. Moses here is obeying what the Lord had told him to do, and he took some of the blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. What's that about? Well, the best way to understand this is first of all to recognize we are not given extraneous information. So this isn't like a reporter who's simply reporting on this and is reporting things that aren't germane to the story. These are details given to us by the Holy Spirit through Moses. Moses was evidently instructed to do this and he takes some of the sacrificial blood, the blood of atonement, and puts it on the right lobe, the right thumb, the right big toe. This is not where you need Freud. This is not where you need a medical doctor. This is where you need merely common sense. The priest must hear, the priest must do, the priest must go, exactly as instructed. And it doesn't take a great deal of imagination to understand that the hearing and the doing and the going are going to be led by the ear and the hand and the foot. Now, the difference between the right hand and the left hand is absolutely crucial. This has nothing to do with right-handedness and left-handedness, though being left-handed was more of a liability, especially in this age. The left hand was for handling unclean things. The right hand was for handling clean things. This is still true in much of the world, where the left hand is not to be touched. The right hand is the, in fact, uh, the, the, the phrase when I was growing up as a boy, extend the right hand of fellowship. You stick out the left hand, no one's going to shake it. You go to the Middle East, it is not merely a matter of tradition. And uh, this, is, uh, this is seen here. 
it is, it is the right hand which is, uh, is to receive the blood, the right thumb, the right big toe. Henry, our grandson, and, and he's always lurking somewhere in the background of our minds, three years old. He came on FaceTime the other day to announce that he had hurt his thumb toe, <laughs> which is, I think, the best way of describing that toe. You have a thumb here, you have a thumb there, makes perfect sense. It's a big story he wanted to tell us, and yet he survives. <laughs> but there's something else here, and that is that rarely are feet touched. Because this is different than in our culture, sort of. Different than in our culture, sort of. What do I mean by that? Remember that when the seraphim in Isaiah 6 appear, they have six wings, with two they cover their faces, with two they cover their feet, and with two they fly. When Zipporah circumcises the son of Moses and she throws the bloody foreskin on her husband in his disobedience and his sickness, she throws it on his feet. There is very good evidence within Scripture that feet is a euphemism for other parts generative parts. It's a, it's a Hebrew euphemism, and it, it, it's, it's found, not, but, but it's not universal, and so that doesn't mean every time you see feet, you're seeing something. So again, tell Dr. Freud to go back to his office and be quiet. <laughs> but it is a sign of the fact that the feet represent more than just going. The, the feet are an intimate part. And, and so that, that's, by the way, uh, it, was, it was true that when you had, for instance, orders of nuns, and you still have m m much of the world, you have orders of nuns, whether in Catholicism or in Eastern Orthodoxy, one of the things that was characteristic of nuns is that no one ever saw the nun's feet as a sign of purity. No one ever saw the feet. So this was a... This was a a perhaps shocking picture for the people of Israel to see there at the entrance to the tabernacle. There's a, some of the blood of the sacrifice. Some have been, have been sprinkled, as was instructed, on the altar. And then some of the blood is brought out. Some put on Aaron and on his sons, on the ear and on the hand and on the feet. In verse 25, then he took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat and the right thigh and out of the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened loaf and one loaf of bread with oil and one wafer and placed them on the pieces of fat and on the right thigh. And he put all these in the hands of Aaron and the sons of his, in the hands of his sons and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. So here is a wave offering that is not just a matter of instruction, but a matter of demonstration. And so it is, it is physically waved in order to be a sign. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar with the burnt offering. This was an ordination offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it for a wave offering before the Lord, it was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination as the Lord commanded 
Moses. Now think about something else here. It, it's not said in these words. It's just demonstrated in the text. Who is the priest at this point? It's Moses. Moses is the priest, but he's only the priest until there is a priesthood. And so this is Moses who's, who is uh, conducting the ordination offering. It's Moses who is following the specifications of the law. It's Moses who is mediating at this point, serving as the mediator of God's command. Verse 30, then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments and also on his sons and his son's garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and his son's garments with him. Now what we're supposed to picture are these gleaming white aprons and, and the robe and all of the specific color and the beauty of these vestments. And I mean, this is, this, is what we, this is what we don't do, right? We don't mess up our clothes. We, we don't put blood on them. That's exactly what's happening here. To consecrate Moses, excuse me, to consecrate Aaron and his sons and the vestments that they are wearing, he sprinkles blood on them. You can imagine, the first time that was seen, just imagine it, just just think about it. You have a, a new priesthood now being ordained, and they're in these beautiful, spectacular garments. This is the glory of the priesthood. This is, this, we are a people who now have priests such as these. Just look at the, at the clothes they're wearing, and look at the gleaming white, and look at the pattern of the color, and, and then splash. The picture of sin. And the necessity of sacrifice is you see this beautiful picture? You see how beautiful they are? You see how perfect what they're wearing is? Let's remember, this is all about atonement for sin. Splash! This is all about atonement for sin. There's blood now on the ear. There's blood on the hand. There's blood on the foot. And now there's blood on the vestments. You say, well, our ordination ceremonies are extremely bland. No blood. Not true. It's just that the blood of Christ is sufficient for all sin. There's no blood in our ordination. Our ordination is about the ministry of the word because there is no priest. And it's not that we don't need a priest, it's that we have a priest, a great high priest whoever lives. Just a remarkable picture. People that say, you're teaching through Leviticus. That has to be the most boring book in the Bible. You think so? Have you ever read it? This is what we're sharing just this day here in Leviticus number 8, such a turning point. There was a priesthood theoretically. Now there's a priesthood, actually, but not yet completed because this will be a seven-day process of ordination. But even as it has begun, it's begun with such remarkable drama and every part of this drama pointing to the greater drama of atonement. The 
You have the anointing oil and the blood that is now sprinkled. But now there's speech, verse 31. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting and there eat it. And the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings as I commanded saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat of it. And what remains of the flesh and the bread you shall burn up with fire. And you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed for it will take seven days to ordain you. Again, seven, the perfect number, number of completion, the creation, six days of work, one day of rest, seven, not only the structure of the week, but seven, the structure of God's perfection and time. It will take seven days. The priesthood ordination is no fast thing. And so for seven days, Aaron and his sons will have to dwell at the entrance. They're stuck at the door for seven days. Now notice in verse 34, as has been done today, the Lord is commanded to be done to make atonement for you. You know what these seven days are about, Aaron? They're about atonement for you and your sons. You will make atonement for the people. But right now, we've got to spend time making atonement for you. And then after that, every single time that the, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies on that one day of the year to make atonement before the Lord, he would first have to make sacrifice with reference to his own sin. And again, the writer of the book of Hebrews makes that contrast with Christ all the more clear. At the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged so that you do not die. For so I've been commanded. And Aaron and his sons did all the things the Lord commanded by Moses. Okay, so Moses says to Aaron, look, here's, here's, here's the deal. Uh, I was commanded to do these things. I'm going to do these things. And I'm giving you commandments. And if you fail any one of these commandments, you'll die. This is a high stakes ordination week. And then the next verse tells us Aaron and his sons did as Moses had commanded, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So you, you see how the stakes are so high. And, and just think about this for a moment. Let, let, let's think about it in our context. Here we are, again, no altar, because the cross is the final infinite altar. We're here with no human priesthood, because in heaven we have a great high priest. And we are here with nothing like the sacrifice to be done, failing in which someone's going to die. And yet we do. And yet we do. In the sense that the preaching of the word is of no less urgent life or death importance than the accomplishment of these sacrifices. The, the preaching of the word, the ministry of the word to which we ordain men now, it is not of less consequence. And every minister will give an answer for every word ever spoken. And the only salvation to any minister of God will be the grace and mercy of God in Christ. There will be no minister no teacher or preacher of God's word 
who will have spoken without error and without consequence. We pray to be as free from error as possible. We, 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 we pray to bring on consequences as few as possible, but the only rescue is the grace and mercy of God. But the stakes for us are not lower. If anything, these stakes are higher in, in the sense of gospel ministry. In chapter 9, the Lord affirms the priesthood after the seven days of ordination. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel and said to Aaron, take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish for a burnt offering and an ox and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil for today the Lord will appear to you. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, this is the thing the Lord has commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. I'm going to repeat that verse. So Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put some on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering, he burned on the altars the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the skin he burned up with fire outside the camp. Then he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons handed him the blood and threw it against the sides of the altar, and they handed the burnt offering to him piece by piece and the head, and he burned them on the altar, and he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as a sin offering like the first one, and he presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the rule, and he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar besides the burnt offering of the morning. Then he killed the ox and the ram and the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood and he threw it against the sides of the altar. But the fat pieces of the ox and the ram, the fat tail and that which covers the entrails and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, they put the fat pieces on the breast and he burned the fat pieces on the altar but the breast and the right thigh, Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord as, the, as Moses commanded. Then Aaron, then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. We needed to hear that all at once. This is Aaron and his sons, but Aaron in particular. Aaron as 
the high priest. It is Aaron who now does exactly what the Lord had commanded through Moses concerning the sacrifices. And we went through a series of the sacrifices that were done. And, and then by the time you get to the end where the sacrifices are done, the pleasure of the Lord is seen in the fire that comes and consumes the sacrifices. It was an aroma pleasing to the Lord, and this is a sign of God's satisfaction. They shouted, the people shouted, and fell on their faces. But then you'll notice there are some, some transitional points. And that is when they go inside the tent. Verse 23, and Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. So after this ordination process, after the consecration of the priest, after what was done at the tent's entrance and at the door, now they're in the tent. And all of a sudden, just right there, verse 23, all of a sudden, Israel is to this point complete. but not quite, but complete in the sense that now the sacrificial system is in place and Israel, God's covenant people, has a priesthood according to God's covenant purpose and plan, and thus they're saved. But I wanted to get through these two chapters together because it's one narrative. It could just as easily be one chapter. It was divided into two because of the length of of the passage, but The narration is very straightforward. It's one of the most straightforward narratives found anywhere in Scripture. And we understand it precisely because we've gone word by word and verse by verse through not only all the Leviticus that came before us, but also Exodus. But it's very easy to miss something Israel could not have missed and Aaron could not have missed. There's a bomb in chapter 9. And you may have seen it, and maybe you didn't. But we need to make sure we see it. Because we can be sure that Aaron saw it. Notice what happens. They're near the tent of meeting. The congregation comes together. And Aaron comes to the moment of the sin offering. Look at verse 8. So Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which is for himself. In verse 6, Moses had told him, this is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people. What you see in verse 8, Aaron comes to the altar and kills the calf of the sin offering. Why a calf? This is in so many ways the climax of what's happening here in the ordination of Aaron. Why a calf? Why now? Why why like this? Why 
this order that is so specific? Why with reference to Aaron's own sin? It's as if the Lord said, hey, Aaron, you remember that calf? Exodus 32. Aaron's been a priest with a calf before. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron in their ears. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Aaron had priested with a lamb, with a calf before, with a calf, calf. The whole point's the calf. He had priested with a calf before. It was a priesting of his own diabolical, idolatrous design. It was a refutation of the covenant. What does it tell us that God assigns the covenant priesthood to Aaron? Well, nothing else that reminds us that there is no sinless servant. How can the Apostle Paul, who had been Saul, the persecutor of the church, the killer of believers, how can he become the great apostle to the Gentiles? There's no explanation for it other than God does it for his glory. But, oh, Aaron, what must he have known when Moses said, let me tell you what's coming next. You're going to sacrifice a calf. Your first sacrifice of sin. And it's going to be with reference to your sin. It's going to take a calf, Aaron. And that's exactly what happens. That's the bomb in Leviticus chapter 9. It's because Aaron has done this before on his own with disastrous consequences that, according to the law of God, meant that the rightful punishment for what Aaron had done was the complete destruction of the people. They're saved only by God's mercy. But now the one who had been the priest of what could only bring eternal destruction to Israel is consecrated over seven days and ordained as the priesthood for Israel. And even as the Lord will tell David that his throne will be established forever, so also this priesthood is established forever. Judaism speaks of a priesthood that has ended because of the destruction of the temple. 
But Christians hold to a priesthood that continues. With everything that was done by Aaron and his descendants in the priesthood of the Old Covenant, fulfilled in and thus subsumed and continued in the eternal priesthood of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. So even though right now Israel has no priesthood, we always have had and live only because we do have a priesthood. You can understand why teaching through those early chapters in Leviticus, um, I said that there would be a turning point coming. And now we've been presented in space, time, and history how the priesthood was established and what it means. We have seen in these two chapters so much embedded truth that's not just revealed looking backwards, for instance, to Exodus 32, but looking forward to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. It's an honor to be together. When we are together next, we will look at the disastrous consequences of a priesthood that goes wrong. But that's next time. Let's pray. Our Father, we're just so thankful that you have given us this passage from Leviticus for our edification. Father, may it be so. May we be edified by and strengthened in your word by this study, and may all the glory be yours. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.